And welcome back to the Heather McCoy Show. Joining me on the line is LA Times reporter Kevin Baxter, who covered the World's Women's World Cup beat. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's great. I enjoyed the last time we talked. Um, the last time we did talk, it was the day after the U.S. team came off of a pretty ugly win against Colombia in the round of 16 match. It was a win nonetheless, and they progressed to face China in the quarterfinals. How big of an insertion of Morgan Bryant into the holding midfield position changed the U.S. their fortunes around? Well, I, you know, I actually talked to Morgan after the after the final last night, and I told her, you know, you won the tournament, and she kind of smiled and said, "That's what I hear." She said, "But I didn't <laughs> say that." I think it was a huge change because it, it freed Carly Lloyd to push forward, and uh, you know, we saw what happened after that. Carly Lloyd with the hat trick yesterday; she scored five goals in the last three games. Um, in each of those games, she scored the goal to put the U.S. ahead to stay. Um, so, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was a huge difference. And when we did talk after the Columbia game, everybody was wondering what was wrong with the U.S. offense. Why wasn't the attack uh, uh, doing better? It was, you know, had all these superstars on it. And you kind of got the impression that uh, the way things played out, that this was almost part of Jill Ellis's plan. I mean, she, she went from someone who in the group stage people were criticizing her tactics to, Emerging as almost something of a genius, uh, you know, when you think about it, the way things fell into place. She kept saying, "We haven't played our best game yet. We haven't played our best game yet." Um, well, they did. They did play their best game in the final, and that's what she said all along was going to happen. Yeah, it, I would subscribe as also it freed up Lauren Holiday to attack too. Yeah, it did, and and remember, it, it was almost a you know genius born of desperation because Morgan Bryant had played in the group stage, played a little bit. Uh, didn't play all that well, and it looked like she was going to watch the rest of the tournament. And then you had the yellow cards to Holiday and Megan Rapino that knocked them out of that uh, game with China. That's when Morgan Bryant went in and started as the holding midfielder, and, and at that point, everything turned around. Yeah, I you know, I have by no means as big of a sports encyclopedia in my head as someone like Keith Olverman, but in my memory, I've never seen a team that had been playing so below average in the group stages and then pre-tournament friendlies in the first round of a playoff and then hit the switch like this 2015 national team. Is there any historic precedents to compare this to? Oh, I'm sure there's got to be something somewhere, but when you look at the numbers... Um, a couple of things to keep in mind. One is the U.S. was undefeated when they were getting all that criticism, um, but they weren't playing like a U.S. team. With this, this team is so good. The U.S. soccer women's soccer program is so good that just winning it sometimes isn't enough. You know, people are looking for that signature performance, and rightly so because of the quality of the players that are there. And so you have a situation where um, after the game against Sweden, the U.S. had been shut out five times in 13 games going back to December. That's only happened one other time in the very first year of the program. So that's, that's how incredible that was. Um, but you know what? They, they also had, uh, since they put that back line together uh, of Julie Johnson, uh, uh, Allie Krieger, uh, Becky Sauerbrunn, and, and uh, Megan, or, yeah, Megan Klingenberg, since that back line started their first game together March 6th, uh, including the following yesterday, the, the U.S. is 11-0-2, and, and they've only given up four goals. That's incredible. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a changing of the guard. Maybe that's kind of what we experienced until that breakout in the last game. Maybe the U.S. is now a defensive team because those players are young. They're going to be the core of the team going forward. Uh, maybe this is a team that wins a lot of games 2 to nothing, and we just have to, to look and say, wow, what a great defensive effort they put in as opposed to how come they didn't score 15 goals for that. Yeah, that back line, if that back line was in place in 2011, they win the game against Japan. Right, right. I mean, it, it, absolutely right, because they don't give up those 
those goals. You know what was really unfortunate is Julie Johnson uh, got beat, well, one with a, an own goal, and the other one she slipped and fell, and that opened the, the gate for that uh, first Japanese goal. But she had played such a great tournament. One of the eight shortlisted women, uh, you know, for the, the play of the tournament, and just sort of to have it kind of fall apart there at the end um, was unfortunate. But it also allowed Hope Solo to have her most active game of the tournament, the fact that the back line did have some a few problems with Japan. I thought Hope Solo was great. Here's a woman that in six games basically had nothing to do. She faced 13 shots in six games and uh, was at the top of her game yesterday. I just think that that's hard to do, to go from a standing start to you know a full-out sprint in the last game of a World Cup, and she did a great job. Yeah, I was reading some of the stats about save percentages. I was surprised Nadine Angerer wasn't in the top 10 in save percentage for the goalkeepers, but she wasn't. No, well, you know, their back line did pretty well, too. And, you know, one of the things that kind of occurred to me in the last couple of days, I wonder if Germany was a paper tiger. I have to say, I had German, Germany as a heavy favor against the U.S. I, I thought for sure the U.S. was going out of the tournament in the semifinals. I just didn't see any way they could beat the, the German team. But now when you look back on it and you, you see all the phenomenal numbers, Germany was averaging 10 shots on goal per game coming into the quarterfinal with the U.S. or semifinal with the U.S., they had scored the most goals in the tournament, 20, more than twice any other team. Okay, so go back and look at They beat Ivory Coast 10 to nothing, and then they also played Thailand. Their only tough group, group play stage was against Norway, and they tied. Yeah. Then they had a good game against Sweden, a Sweden team that wasn't as good as advertised. Then Germany really struggled against France. A couple of official officiating calls uh, helped them out and got them through that game, and then they didn't score in the last two games against the U.S. and England. So maybe the German team wasn't as good as we thought it was. I kind of thought the German team was more of a, after seeing them enough times, I kind of felt they were kind of a paper dragon in that it felt more of a system. Like the only individual player I was would be concerned about marking was Montag. Sausage seemed like a very much of a product of the, her system. And, and they did have a few injury problems to key players yeah. late in the tournament. But um, that's part of the game. You know, they, you, put oh, yeah. seven, you know, again, going, going back to Jill Ellis being a, a genius, I really can't say that enough. And, and I was one of her heavier critics uh, at the beginning. But she said, we need 23 players. This is a seven-game tournament on turf, and you're going to have peaks and valleys. Um, she said all those things. And at the time, you're thinking, those, are, those sound like excuses to me. You know what? She's right. Germany didn't have the depth. They didn't make it. Yeah. They didn't pace themselves for seven games. They didn't endure the peaks and valleys. Uh, Jill Ellis did, and that's why the U.S. is the world champion today. Yeah. I'm not sure what media you've coverage you've seen of the, the World Cup final game, but the Deadspin soccer blog, Screamer, uh, Greg Howard has a compelling case for Carly Lloyd being the greatest player of all time in this opening 16 minutes of the gold medal match game. What was it like to see that live in Vancouver? Well, the first one was like, oh, you know, the U.S. is ahead. Now they're probably going to park the bus because, you know, Japan's not exactly a uh, an offensive juggernaut. So you kind of had the feeling, with, well, with this back line, one to nothing, that might be it. And then the second goal came, and it was like, oh, well, that was kind of a fluke because, remember, Julie Johnson had a shot that bounced off a of, off defender and came right to Carly Lloyd, and she scored. Um, by the way, back to Jill Ellis again, she, had said in, she said in the post-game press conference that um, they knew that Japan was susceptible to um, set pieces, and, and both of those goals, Carly Lloyd started unmarked at the top of the box and charged in and got the ball, and no defender picked her up on either play, so they clearly, the scouting, saw something. So anyway, now it's 2 to nothing. 
and you think, wow, um, you know, this was interesting. The third goal is three to nothing. All of a sudden, it's a rout. But 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 you really knew something was up when uh, Carly Lloyd had that fourth uh, fourth goal of the game, the third goal that she scored, the hat trick, um, you know, from center field to midfield rather. That was that was incredible, and that's when you knew that you know a, a great goalkeeper being beat on a play like that, Carly Lloyd, from 54 yards away, putting the ball right in the net. Um, that was something special. And when you talk about Carly Lloyd, you know, everyone's acting like they just discovered Carly Lloyd last night. Remember, she's the only player in history to score the winning goal in two Olympic finals. She did that in 2008 and 2012. She's the highest-scoring midfielder in women's soccer history. Um, She's played this as her third World Cup. She's got a pretty good resume. Uh, People didn't discover her last night. What happened was she plays on a team with Alex Morgan, with Hope Solo, and Abby Wambach. It's, It's tough to get your name in the paper when you're playing with those kind of people, but uh, she is definitely the face of the franchise, and you know, 25.4 million people watched that game on Fox last night. And Car- Carly Lloyd, right now, is the most famous athlete in the United States. And she told me today that she that hasn't sunk in yet, and she thinks she's <laughs> going to have a little bit of trouble dealing with it. Oh, I'm but, sure she uh, will. She's willing to give it a try. Yeah, um, that's the one thing. Is like I've seen her play in the old. Um, WPS league when I think she was with the Chicago stars and I've seen her play a lot and she's always been one of my favorite players and to see her on fire for the first 16 minutes, it's like, Oh my God, she's having the best game of her life. Well, you know, what's weird about that is, uh, it had been 16 years since the U S won a goal, a world cup. So yesterday, Carly Lloyd had the hat trick in the first 16 minutes. I don't know what that means, but I just think the <laughs> double 16 is kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, former English soccer star and current Fox Sports commentator uh, Kelly Smith, she said that um, Carly Lloyd's third goal, the one that was struck from midfield, was the best goal in women's soccer that she had ever seen. Uh, will that ever be enough to quiet the crowd of people convinced they aren't seeing, quote, quality soccer when they watch the women's game? Well, you know, there was 25 million people that watched it yesterday, almost 27 if you count the audience of Telemundo. Um, that's more than tuned in for any men's game. So, uh, you know, hopefully we've answered that question. But when, when I saw that the distance on that kick was 54 yards, and I don't know if that's accurate. I know it's at least 50 because the field's 100 yards long. My first thought was, you know what, to shut those people up, let's take Carly Lloyd out to a, um, a USC practice or take her out to an NFL practice and have her kick field goals to the field goal kicker. Because if she can kick a soccer ball 54 yards on a line, she's going to do pretty good with the football. Yeah, yeah. Um, who were some of the best individual performances that you saw around the World Cup, not just with the U.S. team? Well, I mean, obviously the, the one thing going into the final is, is one of the complaints was uh, from the Canadian media, and they were right, is that there were some compelling games in the World Cup. There were some interesting matchups, but there had not been a compelling individual performance. And, you know, I think Carly Lloyd uh, uh, kind of took care of that. Um, it, you know, it's, it's hard to look at a lot of the other games. Uh, Buchanan for Canada um, got a lot of attention up here. I'm not so sure that, that she, uh, she might have been the third best defender on the U.S. team. And, and that's taking nothing away from her. But, um, you know, the U.S. team, the U.S. back line was just that much better. Um, yeah, aside from... Some of the performances that we saw from the U.S. players, and uh, granted I was focusing on that team, nothing really stands out all that much. I just thought that the biggest stars of the tournament uh, uh, were the U.S. ones, and I'm not. And, and unfortunately, a lot of that doesn't show up in the stat sheet because the top performances are defensive performances. You know, who would remember Megan Kligenberg uh, hitting that ball off the line against Sweden? 
if yeah. she doesn't do that, um, maybe the U.S. loses the group and all this plays out differently. Yeah, I was actually, my individual performance that I was inspired by was Formiga playing so well with Brazil at 40 years old. Yeah, and you know, I'm sure you watched the game yesterday when Sawa came in, and the first thing Sawa came in uh, in, in the middle of the first half, and then when Abby came in, uh, was late in the 79th minute, I think, when Abby came in, Sawa, who's 36 years old, playing in her final World Cup as well, she went over and shook Abby's hand, which was a really nice touch, I thought. And then a minute later, this was even better, a minute later she fouled her and got a yellow card. So it was like, <laughs> hey, welcome to the pitch. You know, we're both on our way out. We're old warriors. And and then she fouled her, and it was like, remember what it used to be like? Yeah. What does, I just thought that was really good. That was really awesome, actually. Uh, what does England's third-place finish do for their soccer prim, program domestically? Because we were talking about that about two weeks ago, about how English women's soccer is it doesn't get a lot of respect in England. Well, uh, before I forget, one other thing I wanted to talk about is oh, sure. in Mayama, the captain of the the captain of the Japanese team. You know that one thing, but uh, Japan and the U.S. they seem to have so much respect for each other. Um, at the press conferences before the final, um, it, you know, Japan thanked the U.S. The U.S. thanked Japan. It was amazing. But um, the U.S. team came to the Fox Studios on the on the harbor here in Vancouver today to you know do a show and get congratulated for winning and all that. In Miami, the captain of the Japanese team showed up and stood in the crowd, uh, just like anybody else, and then kind of pushed away to the front and handed a security guard a bag of candy and said, please give this to the players. Uh, I just thought that was amazing. She didn't come and make a big show. She didn't jump in front of a Fox camera. She didn't say, here I am. She stood in the crowd with all the little kids and handed candy over to a security guard, uh, just uh, thanking the U.S. team, I guess. I mean, you know, that was pretty incredible. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, the, when you look at what happened with Sawa and, and and uh, Abby Wambach, just the respect between these two teams were amazing. But as far as the English question, um, when I was in England for the 2012 World Cup, I think this is, or Olympics, I think this is what we talked about last time, um, a, a lot of the men and a lot of the journalists were aghast that women were going to go onto the pitch at Old Trafford. You just didn't do that. That was uh, where men played. Um, but I, I, And there were very few English journalists uh, here. The English journalists didn't, you know, travel to cover this tournament. They didn't take it seriously. But when England made it to the uh, semifinals, all of a sudden it got a lot of attention. And I think the way they lost on the own goal, I, I think it woke a lot of people here up, and I heard comparisons between, you know, the men's game is so harsh, a man would never get away with making that kind of mistake. Maybe we should learn something from the women's game. And, and I do think that that's true. I think everybody in England rallied around, uh, uh, you know, rallied around their players in, in that moment. And I did think it opens people's eyes, and there is a women's Premier League now. There's a couple of lower-tier leagues that feed into that. They have relegation. Um, it's not where uh, women's soccer is in the U.S., I don't think, but it, you know, it's, it's much better than it was even just three years ago. With this much hype surrounding the Women's World Cup, do you think FIFA is going to make changes into the 2019 World Cup in France, like artificial turf, hotel teams sharing hotel rooms, uh, just journalists not getting an easy way to go to games? Well, um, yeah, I think it'll be easier to get around France than it will be because of the train system and, and that the size of France is, you know, Canada's a continental-sized country, and with the Canadian Rockies right in the middle, it's hard to get around. Um, there has been a lot of criticisms of FIFA, and um, FIFA deserves a lot of criticism for a lot of things, but a couple of things that I think uh, some of the critics got wrong, um, the prize money. Yes, the prize money is ridiculous. The U.S. got $2 million for winning. Uh, someone who went out in the group stage of the Men's World Cup, that country got $8 million. 
um, we're not going to see artificial turf again, thanks to Abby and, and the other 60 women who signed on to that lawsuit. We're done with that, so that's great. But um, the prize money is probably, probably going to be much lower than the men's for a long time. And uh, I don't think the hotel situation, I think the hotel situation will be fixed. Too many teams complained about it, so I think that'll be fixed. But the prize, when you look at the prize money and the fact that, yes, the brackets were cooked uh, in a way, in an attempt to get Canada and the U.S. to go further, um, I talked to some FIFA officials about that, and, and they were getting a lot of criticism, and they were, their response was, look, this is the Women's World Cup. We only had one country bid on it because you just don't make money on it. We only had one country bid on the next Women's World Cup. We need to do something to get attention and to turn a profit, and they did have record ticket sales this year. Um, uh, so I, I'm, I'm almost kind of with people on that. Look, let's, let's nurture this game. Let's not do what happened in so many sports leagues in the U.S. where you try to become the best league in the world in the first year. I think you have to build up to that. Yeah, I'm in no way saying the women's game is is any less than the men's game at all, but and Fox getting 25 million viewers and there were record uh, you know viewers and number of viewers in Japan and Spain and a lot of other countries. So it's coming, but I do think that you know looking at the prize money and saying oh it's so much smaller than the men's. Yeah, look at the uh, amount of sponsors, the amount of uh, um, uh, you know money flowing into the men's World Cup. The women are just getting started. I think if you go back to 1934 when the men's World Cup was was in its infancy, I think you would see that it wasn't the same as this today. Let the women's game grow. Yeah, and I would say also, like, it, and in terms of ticket sales, um, the stadium where Canada, or I'm sorry, where Japan and England played, if that was a Men's World Cup match, even though it was for third place, that would have still been sold out, and that was not the case with that team, those two teams on Saturday. Well, and there was a lot of that. The U.S. did very well. They, the Columbia game only had about 19,000 uh, but the U.S. either sold out or came within a couple of thousand of selling out uh, six of its seven games. They did very well. Canada did very well. Ninety-five percent of the tickets for this World Cup were sold in the U.S., and those were people buying tickets to see the U.S. and Canada play. Um, I think the saddest one was Brazil playing in Montreal, a cosmopolitan city um, that uh, is not averse to coming out and seeing, quote, immigrant, unquote, sports. Marta playing in Montreal um, for the first and last time in her career, 10,000 people, um, you know, in, in a World Cup game. And I would have thought, and clearly I'm wrong, but I would have thought, hey, if I'm in Montreal and I got a free afternoon, it's the World Cup. I may not like soccer. I may not know much about soccer, but it's the World Cup, and I've certainly heard of Marta. Why not go out and see her? And uh, very few people wanted to do that, apparently. Yeah, Marta's great to see. I've seen her play with the Umir IK in Sweden, and I've seen her play with the LA Soul, and I never get I never get tired of seeing Marta play. Um, according to the Seattle Reigns Facebook page, Megan Rapino and Hope Solo turn, return to the club this Saturday against the Western New York Flash. Um, I kind of like this because instead of doing a barnyard tour, they're trying to build out of the World Cup with better um, league play as far as attendance goes in, in WSL soccer. How do you think this is going to translate for the pro game? Well, I think that's a very good point. Uh, they are going to do a victory tour. It's going to be 10 matches. It's going to start in August, though. And some of the players today were talking uh, the press availability they had, saying, you know, I'm really not for- looking forward to going back to my team. I need a little bit of a break, uh, but I guess I have to go back. And so, um, clearly there's been some strategizing about exactly what you said, that you know, the iron's hot right now. And by the way, those the first two games in the Victory Tour, the first one in Chattanooga sold out in a matter of hours. Wow. The second one in Pittsburgh it had sold 26,000 tickets before 
uh, the final. That's, that's going to be at Heinz Field. That's probably going to top 50,000 now. Um, so, you know, the interest is still there, but you're right. If you can't see um, Julie Johnson or Megan Kligenberg or whatever uh, on the victory tour and they're playing for your local women's team, maybe you never wanted to go see that team play, and now you're going to. I mean, certainly in Houston, people are going to come out and see Carly Lloyd and, and Morgan Bryan play together. I mean, that's a no-brainer. So uh, I, I think that's a great idea. I think that the idea always has been, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the idea always has been is, look, if we get people through the door and they take a look, they're going to like what they see, and they'll come back. It's getting them in the door the first time, and this is a great way to do that. Yeah, it is a great way to do it. And I would see a Houston Dash game just for Ella Masser. I love that girl. Anyways, um, Kevin Baxter, he's been my guest. Uh, he reports for the LA Times for the Women's World Cup this year. Thanks for being on the show, and thanks for um, all of your coverage and helping out with uh, the show on KUCI. Well, thanks for your call. Let's do it again. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk about uh, women's soccer, and when we see what how this uh, post World Cup era unfolds. Yeah, that should be very interesting. Um, this, of course, is Heather McCoy show.